Are you wanting to live a life with more clarity and happiness? I'm Tammy Hill, a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex educator, wife, mother, and grandmother. I am also an optimist. I strive to live my life on purpose, with purpose. I'm here to inspire people to do the things that inspire them. Live Your Why means to align your core values with the way you want to spend your time. Living My Why includes bridging the gap of understanding sex as both a sacred marital act and as pleasurable, passionate energy that adds zest and happiness to life. I want you to embrace sexual joy without shame. Integrating your sexual nature for goodness will bring you strength, joy, and peace. Join me this season for the Live Your Why podcast, and together we can live a life full of passion and purpose. Hi, this is Tammy Hill, and this is the Live Your Why podcast. I don't know how you feel as you get a little older, but I feel like, man, my body is really changing, and my response sexually is a little different. I'm a little slower. I know it's a little more challenging for my husband. As we get older, things really do change sexually. There's a wonderful doctor, Dr. Justin Johnson, who has Remedical Clinic in Mill Creek, Utah. And he's coming on the show today to talk about his research and study around sex and aging. You will not want to miss this show. Hi, this is Tammy Hill, and this is the Live Your Why podcast. I'm very excited today to talk to Dr. Justin Johnson about sex and aging. So, Dr. Johnson, welcome to the program. Yeah, it's great to be here, Tammy. We're excited. Good. Tell us a little bit about you and about your study of sexuality and why this is a passion for you. Yeah, so I'll start. I'll try to keep it short because it's a long and, you know, circuitous route. But essentially, I'm a facial plastic surgeon. And I was a professor at Duke for a while where I started doing research on lasers And so then I helped develop a bunch of lasers. So the laser that we use for the vaginal rejuvenation for women, I'm actually one of the main doctors who did the research on it, developed it, got through the FDA. So when COVID hit, they shut us down from operating. So I came back, I was doing some consulting work and and we decided to start up this company where we did the vaginal rejuvenation for the women. And then we decided to combine it with the men also because we helped develop some of the lasers for the men as well. So we have this clinic that combines both the men's ED and the women's vaginal rejuvenation with lasers that I helped develop. Wow, that's exciting. And so where is your business? It's in Mill Creek. It's on 25th East and 33rd South. And it's a wonderful business and you get to do that. Is there, are there other things you do at your business? Yeah, so we're really we're an anti-aging clinic. We've gotten into a lot of anti-aging treatments because... Both ED and vaginal atrophy are aging processes, and so we have a lot of complementary treatments that also address those, such as laser hair restoration. We do hormone replacement therapy, which has a lot of things to do with sexual wellness. We do weight loss, which people don't a lot of times don't understand that it has a quite a bit of effect on sexual and intimacy as well. And then we're bringing in some new treatments uh, like stem cells, or where they're actually called 
we have to say the full word. We can't say stem cells by themselves. We have placental-derived umbilical cord mesenchymal stem cells. That's the full word. Wow. But they're from umbilical cord and, and placentas. And they do a lot of great things for anti-aging. Some really good articles coming out recently on them. So we've added those. So kind of a general anti-aging wellness clinic. Hmm. Sounds like I need to come <laughs> as I get older. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you know, they some, there's some current thought that if people started taking stem cells once a month, they could maybe live to 120 to 140 years old. So we'll see. Hmm. I don't know if I want to live that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on how good a shape you are. That's if you're true. like when you're 25. <laughs> if you feel and look like you did when you were 25, then that that would be great. So Exactly. I want to just jump right in and talk to you about what can people expect to change as they age as far as their sexuality is concerned. Well, one of the things that starts to go down is libido. We see a significant decrease in libido for both men and women, which is multifactorial. But one of the main issues for decrease in libido is hormones. And so as we start to age, our hormone levels decrease, both for men and women. And the reason is multifactorial, but the main reasons are shrinkage of like the ovaries and the testicles for men. So when they start to shrink, they don't make as much testosterone, which causes them to shrink further. And so you get into that. And, the, and there's also other health issues that go along with that, such as brain fog, decreased stamina, fatigue, aches and pains, those kind of things, which are all hormonally related. So the nice thing is there's some great treatments out there that can restore that. And what we found, people are like, well, do I need to be on this lifetime? What, what actually ends up happening is, is once you start doing hormone replacement correctly, then it will cause both the ovaries and the testicles to regain their, their girth, so to speak. And then they start making the hormones correctly again. So what you typically do is go on and off. You're on the hormone replacement for a couple of years, off it for a couple of years, and so forth. But you can keep a nice level where the libido is the, the same as it was when you were younger. That's an aging process that can definitely be reversed. So libido goes down. We have shrinkage of of the ovaries and testicles, which make, is that part of the ED problem? Is that part of the vaginal atrophy problem? Yeah, so then the corollary to those is the vaginal atrophy and the VED. So I'll, I'll talk about vaginal atrophy first of all. So what happens is that your body, interestingly enough, stops making collagen correctly at, after the age of 25. Most people don't realize this. Mm. Now, there's 28 different types of collagen. There's four main types. Type 1, or sorry, type 3 collagen is the collagen everybody likes. That's the stuff that makes your skin luminescent, you know, keeps the vaginal mucosa thick, all those good things. You stop making at age 25. You still continue to make type 1 collagen, which is scar tissue collagen. So as you age, you lose about 0.5 to, so 0.5 to 1% of your collagen per year. So if you've reached the age of 50, which many of us have, you've lost 25% of your collagen, if not more. Now, what collagen does in the sexual wellness side, in the vaginal mucosa, is the vaginal mucosa is, is really just modified skin. So you have a layer, if you took a pathology slide and looked at the skin, right underneath the epidermis is this nice layer of collagen elastin, a nice big strand. And if you're losing it at a half to 1% per year, then it starts to shrink. 
So how that translates to skin is that if it shrinks, you essentially create a sinkhole, which we call wrinkles. That's how you start getting wrinkles because they're, they're not as plump. Well, the same thing's going on in the vaginal mucosa. It starts to shrink and thin out. Then you throw on having kids and it just wrecks havoc with the vaginal mucosa for women. So that by the time they reach, you know, 35, 40, 45, then your, your collagen and elastin are just so thin in the mucosa that you start getting issues with that. One of which is this thing, which we call stress urinary incontinence, which is you start to pee when you laugh, jump, run, those kind of things. And the reason is people often associate with weakness of the muscles of the abdomen and the pelvic floor. And that does play a little bit, but what's really going on is if you look at the anatomy, your bladder is sitting right on top of your vaginal canal, just sits right above it. So when the vaginal canal starts to shrink, it falls in and it causes the bladder to fall down and it kinks the urethra, which is the tube you pee out of, so that you can't control the pee stream as well because it's kinked. So where the muscle is, the head doesn't control where well because it's kinked like a straw. So then when you put any pressure on there, like laughing or jumping, it starts to leak out a little bit. And so you'll see a lot of these things where they go in and try to do surgery. The problem with surgery is not really correcting the problem. It's just masking it because, like I said, it's not really the pelvic floor muscles. It's the vaginal mucosa being thin. And it's essentially like if you have a bridge over a canyon and then the pillars holding the bridge up sink, you know, you can definitely go and start putting plywood on the road of the bridge and that will, you know, build up that bridge part. But really what you need to do is go fix the pillars. So in that case, that's vaginal mucosa. So you can, what you need to do is restore the vaginal mucosa thickness. And that's what our lasers do. They're fantastic at that. They've been FDA approved. I actually helped them get through the FDA approval process. And they go and restore that thickness, which pushes the vaginal canal back up into the normal spot and then pushes the bladder up in the normal spot so you don't have that. Plus, it fixes all the other issues you get with vaginal atrophy, which is dysapenorrhea is one of the main ones, which is painful sexual intercourse because it gets thin because what, what the anatomy is is your nerve endings are closer to the start of the vaginal mucosa, not nearly towards the edge. So as the vaginal mucosa thins and you start getting closer to the nerves, so it becomes painful to have sexual intercourse all those type of things that go along with it. You get different discharge. You're more prone to urinary tract infections because the urinary complex is right there by the vaginal opening. And also vaginitis. You get all sorts of issues with vaginal thinning. And that's an aging process. But it can be reversed. Okay. And so for ED then, what does... what does You can expect to have more ED as you get older. And why yes. why is that? So ED on the men's side, is, so the main cause, there's lots of different causes of ED, but the main cause is this thing called vasculogenic ED, which accounts for 90% of all ED in men. And what that is, is you get plaque building up in your arteries. So essentially, ED for most men is heart disease. Now, the reason it shows up more in the, in the genital area than it does in the heart per se is because the arteries are slightly different. So in the arteries in the heart, they're rigid, it lets blood flow pass much easier. But in the penile area, they're distensible, meaning they collapse because if they were just rigid and open, then a man would have an erection 100% of the time mm-hmm. walking around. So you don't want that. So what you do is you have these distensible arteries. So what happens is when you get the plaque building up the arteries, two things happen. One, 
the arteries start to clot off because it, the lumen gets narrow and then the, there's no blood flow and then they die off. But two, they start to block the signal that causes an erection because it's interestingly, the anatomy is such that when one is aroused, the signal goes to the lumen or the inside of the artery. Now in the artery, so an artery is different from a vein and the arteries have muscle. So all arteries have a little muscle around them. And in the penile region, the muscle is specialized in that it's always constricted, meaning it's tight so that there's not a much blood flow. There's enough blood flow to keep the area alive, but not enough blood flow to get an erection. So when you get aroused, the signal has to, to diffuse through the artery to the muscle on the outside, and it causes the muscle to relax, which opens up the channel, so to speak, and then the blood starts to flow mm -hmm. through, and then you get an erection. When ED start getting the plaque building up, the the signal starts to get blocked or has difficulty diffusing because of the plaque buildup. Now, what happens also in the muscle, you have an enzyme that will break down the signal because if you didn't, one erection and you have an erection the rest of your life if you couldn't break the signal down. So you have this enzyme that breaks the signal down. So what Cialis and Viagra do is they block the enzyme from working well so that you can get enough signal through to get the muscle to relax. So that's essentially what ED is. Now, the treatments out there, you know, like Cialis and Viagra work really well, but temporarily in, in that they don't really fix the issue. They're masking it. They're just making the signal so it works better. But eventually you get enough plaque building up that the signal doesn't get through very well. So the new treatments, this low-intensive shockwave therapy, and this is one of the reasons we, you know, our, our clinic is so good because I helped develop the technology. So what we're doing for low-intensive shockwave therapy is we're taking a sound wave that has a certain frequency. And the frequency is attuned to the plaque that's building up in the arteries. And so what it does is it causes the plaque to vibrate quickly and shatter, which allows the body to clear the plaque. So when you clear the plaque, the signal can get through again, and then you can get an erection. Hmm. That's fascinating. I'm learning a lot here too, even though of my education. <laughs> it's awesome. So tell me then prolapse in women when you have kind of a vaginal prolapse. They do have surgery for that, but what you're talking about is that, that what your technique with the lasers would replace the need for that type of a surgery? Correct. And in, in, depending on the, uh, the severity of the prolapse. Like if you have a stage four prolapse, then you're going to have to have surgery because the laxity is such that it would be, I mean, you could do the laser, but we're talking lots and lots of lasers, so it wouldn't be economical to do that. But for anyone with just early laxity, grade one, grade two, what the laser does, so a little laser fix, I'll try not to get too you know, technical, yeah, but yeah. this is kind of my passion and my... <laughs> but so essentially what a CO2 laser does, I'll just give you a quick overview of lasers. So a laser is a light wave, or technically electromagnetic wave. So the visible light's on the spectrum of electromagnetic waves, like gamma rays, for example, is an electromagnetic wave that's a very small frequency, so that's on one end. And then you have radio waves and TV waves, which are very large waves on the other end. So the CO2 has a specific wavelength, and it's 15,500 nanometers, and that's in the infrared region. And so when, the, so when you excite CO2 molecules and they absorb energy, so when I say excite, I'm talking about giving them to absorb energy, the electrons that are floating around the, the, the nucleus jump to a higher shell, which is unstable. So then when they fall back to their normal shell, they release the same amount of energy they absorb. It's called a quantum. That's what we call quantum physics. 
And they release it in the form of a light wave, which is this 15,500 nanometer white wave. So when the light wave travels, what happens is a chromophore, which is which is what is absorbing the energy. So a chromophore for like laser hair removal is melanin. It's the, what's picking up the energy. In CO2, the chromophore is water. So when the water picks up the light energy in the form of the wave, it causes the water molecules to spin counterclockwise really fast, which creates heat. Then the body dissipates the heat. So what happens with the CO2 is it works on several different mechanisms. One, the heat will cause a little bit of contraction, so it tightens the skin and the mucosa. Two, it creates a little kind of like channel, which the body will heal by the wound healing response. But three, what makes CO2 so magnificent is that the way it dissipates the heat turns your fibroblasts back on. Your fibroblasts are the cells that make collagen elastin and that are dormant. If you dissipate this heat, it just turns them all back on. They start making collagen elastin, start dumping it out again like you're young. So you get better cell turnover, get plumping of the skin and the mucosa because you've made more collagen. It's awesome. And literally, you cannot do too many. You can do CO2 lasers once every couple months for the rest of your life if you want and just, you know, build up a ton of collagen. Mm. Don't know if I'd recommend that, but that's what you can do. And so as you do that, the mucosa and everything around it starts to plump back up because you've turned the cells on like when you're younger and it just causes everything to get back to their state, which is pushing everything back into place. Awesome. That's interesting. So it's very, very effective. Yeah. Then I have a question. When someone goes through this laser treatment to for ED or for vaginal atrophy or prolapse, does it impact sexual sensation when, as they heal? Is it going to make it so that they might be less sensitive to for pleasure? No, it makes them more sensitive. Oh. So... Is so the ED treatments and the valve rejuvenation treatment makes the area much more sensitive and increases pleasure. That's one of the de- things it definitely does, especially, well, actually on both, especially for women. So the sexual complex for women is interesting. I don't know if many of your li- listeners know, but I can do a really quick anatomy review for women <laughs> because most pe- women, in fact, most even doctors, here's an interesting fact. They did not understand the women's anatomy for the sexual reproductive ovum cell till 1980. I know. <laughs> this is um, then I'm so I, it's my passion and I teach that all the time. Yeah. Well, I know in my book I go through the G zone and all of that. And so maybe yeah. briefly um, you can tell us a little bit about that and then maybe how hormone replacement therapy and maybe some of this laser work can help. Yeah, so so on the women's anatomy, you know, you have different areas. The G zone or the G spots, we call it, actually accounts for about ten to twelve, maybe fifteen percent of pleasure. It's analogous to the caliper glands in the in the male, which is where you produce sugar for the semen. But the more important is the clitoris, and most women and men don't even understand what the clitoris looks like. First mm-hmm. of all. So for an example, just give me a guess for you. How big do you think the clitoris is on average for women? Well, I think it's, well, I don't know about as like inches, but I know that it's like inside, it's like what's growing outside for a penis is going inside for a woman's clitoris for the clitoral complex. Yeah. So it averages 10 inches in length, the clitoris. Hmm because it's homologous to the penis. So the, what everyone associates the clitoris is just the tip right. of the clitoris. So it'd be like the tip the of glands. the penis. The glands, exactly. So it's much bigger than that. And what's interesting, the reason behind the clitoris is this, is that 
when you get blood stimulating through the clitoris, so you have this thing, you have to fill that little sack up with blood to have an orgasm for women. And then the orgasm causes contraction of the, the vaginal muscles and stuff. So that right. it accelerates the semen along. So, and the interesting thing about the, both the men's and the women's complex is that you do not, the blood vessels only come in at one position, meaning you don't have a bunch of blood vessels that are entering into the clitoris or to the corpus cavernosum, which is what we call on the men's side. You don't have a lot of them coming in. They just come in at one spot. So it's kind of like, you know, the entrance to a river, so to speak. There's not a lot of channels. There's actually only one channel that's um, coming in. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And and so the important thing for both of them is to not only treat just the clitoral portion, but also to treat the entrance of the blood vessels where they come in, because that's the most important thing for blood flow. So for on the men's side, what I like to say, you know, I can get the penile architecture, the blood vessels really going, flowing well, like the, I say, it's like the Mississippi River. But if your blood flow is the City Creek River, that's the blood flow you're going to get. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of more that goes into it than just than just the, the channels themselves. Mm-hmm. So going back to the women, okay, so it's called the, I just can't remember, the bulb of the vestibule. Yeah. So you have this set called the bulb of the vestibule. And what happens is that has to fill with blood. And so when you get the clitoris aroused and you start getting blood flow, there's these little channels that will, you know, leak into the bulb of the vestibule. When it gets hard, then you can have an orgasm. And so the blood flow is so important. So that's what CO2 laser does is also restores the blood flow. Because remember, it's reactivating the fibroblasts, which in skin causes collagen elastin, but in arteries, it causes more production of arteries. Interesting. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a little break and be right back with Dr. Johnson. For the first time, I am offering a Valentine's virtual making love retreat this year. You will not want to miss it. It is going to be February 9th through 10th. What I like couples to do is schedule two nights away where they can be alone or two nights at home with their families away. But two nights, 48 hours together, where they can have time to listen in to what it is I'm teaching and do the special fun homework that I have for them to work on after each lesson. There's about six hours of instruction and a lot of free time for you to practice. This is completely private. When you come on, your cameras are off. You can totally change the name on your screensaver. No one needs to know that you are there except for you. I hope that you'll take advantage of this virtual Making Love Retreat this Valentine's. It's a wonderful way for you to connect with your sweetheart in a private 48 hours of bliss way. All right, we are back today on the Live Your Why podcast talking about aging and sex or sex and aging with Dr. Justin Johnson. Dr. Johnson, I wanted to talk about hormone replacement therapy. This is something I'm very, very passionate about, especially for women, perimenopausal women. I would love to hear what your learning and your treatment is for men first, and then for women as far as testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. What is a treatment that looks ideal for them, for people as they age? Yes. So all of us, as we talked about, as they age, they start making less hormones because of various things. 
So the interesting thing about men and testosterone is that they've done a lot of research, but no one's come to a conclusion because, you know, you have to do a certain amount of studies. And a lot of studies aren't done because, as we like to say in medicine, follow the money. You know, there's not really any way to make tons of money for some people, so they don't do the studies on them. But a sense, and so these studies are done by academic centers. So on men, if you look at the literature, they have what an average range for men, which is 300 international units to 1,200 international units. An international unit is a nanogram per deciliter of testosterone. But if you look at the specific studies, men should never get to 300. 300 is like a dead 90-year-old who's about to die and is, <laughs> who's, <laughs> hasn't been working forever. Mm. So 1,200 should be a male 15 to 25-ish. You shouldn't go above 1,200 on males either. So you should so, sit somewhere between 800 and 1,000 generally for most men our age. And the reason is es- testosterone is interesting. Testosterone is a hormone that is so important so many different things and it's actually the ratio so when people talk about testosterone it's actually the ratio of testosterone to estrogen to progesterone in men and women and testosterone too little testosterone causes ed as well as too much testosterone so it's one of those drugs that we just because you increase is not good you have to be in a range so if you have too much testosterone you can get ed you can get hair loss you get aggression you get too little testosterone you can also get ed but you get fatigue brain fog, all sorts of things with it. So you want to be in this narrow range. And so the way we do that is we take a blood test and we have them come fasting because testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone are all cholesterol hormones, meaning they're based off of cholesterol. So if you eat, you know, it throws off that because there's fatty food in your blood and whatnot. And so then we take the level and then we can adjust it. Now for men, there's four ways of adjusting it. Essentially one is oral taking oral medicine, which I am not a fan of because it causes problems with your liver. So I just do not like that. The second way to do it is through pellets. And I'm not a fan of pellets either because the rule of thumb is pellets work maybe a quarter of the time correctly. 50% of the time they get too much high high testosterone and like 25 to 30% of the time they get too low because they don't absorb correctly. And they cause all sorts of problems. Because the other thing with testosterone is you have to be careful that the person doesn't have any like prostate issues because it will just make those worse. And also you have to monitor their hematocrit, meaning the thickness of their blood, because it will increase that. So when we first started doing this, my brothers were doing uh, pellets. And I had one of my brothers come in. I took his medicine. I'm like, okay, you're going to the emergency room right now. I'm doing an emergency blood draw on you to take some hematocrit. Because he was at the level where he was looking risk for a stroke, immediate stroke. Oh, wow. So, and then, so luckily he stopped doing the pellets and started doing our method, which is we either do injections or cream. We've had a, the past people haven't been really thrilled with the cream or the patches. And that's mostly because the base that we use used, but going back to my days at Duke, you know, I was doing research on lasers and it's really hard to get volunteers to do research on lasers when it's a painful procedure, you know? So you have to put them sure. under anesthesia and tell them to just grit it. And no one wants to do that. <laughs> so I invented a, a, a cream that increases penetration of things into the skin by 200% so that we could get numbing wow. cream. Yeah, it works awesome. So we take that same base and we put it in the testosterone cream and we can pretty much adjust any level because we don't we're not stuck at a certain level of testosterone we can adjust it to the person 
and it works phenomenal. So almost all of our men now, we, we, we were doing injections, which works really well too, where you eject the body once a week or twice a week. But what we found with the cream is you get more of a steady state because you're putting it on daily. You just put it on at night right behind your knee. We can adjust how much testosterone we're giving so we can get a perfect level and then people get great results. And it's been so phenomenal that every single person in our staff that's over 30 is on hormone replacement. Wow. Just because it helps so much. My wife, all of our wives, all my friends now, it's just such a phenomenal product because we're doing it so that you don't get the problem, but you get the benefits. Yeah, yeah. Now, the same thing happens with women. It's the ratio estrogen, progesterone, and, and testosterone. In women, you don't necessarily take the level of estrogen and progesterone per se, because women's estrogen and progesterone will fluctuate in a normal course of age and especially pregnancy status. So it increases or decreases whether they're ovulating in pregnancy. So you go off more symptoms with them, but testosterone is pretty stable. And so we take it, same thing with women when we take a testosterone level. Women should be so the, the high level for a woman is 55, which is much less than the men. And, you know, they say that it ranges from 10 to 55, but really almost all women should be 40 to 55-ish, depending on the age. So like for someone my age, I'm 54, they should be around 45. And at 45, you'll get all the benefits of the testosterone because what te- people don't realize is testosterone is super important in libido, but it's also super important in muscle mass. Mm. It's really hard to maintain your muscle mass if your testosterone is low. And having a high muscle mass, I'm not saying be, like be you know a weight builder, weight bodybuilder or anything, just normal muscle mass does two things. One, and they've done lots of studies because we do weight loss also, so I'll just talk a little about the weight loss in conjunction with this. The most important factor for weight loss, taking out the fact that you need a partner participation, meaning if your partner's against you losing weight, you're not going to lose weight. Hmm. The second most important factor they've, with all these studies done is weight training, meaning muscle mass production. So they did some really cool studies that showed that if you train weights, you actually eat less as a percentage of what you burn when you're not training weights. And on top of that, you actually change your brain chemistry so that you don't crave food as much, which is one of the main issues of weight gain. And the only way to maintain muscle mass besides exercising is test appropriate testosterone levels. So you can be weight training your you know, as much as you possibly can and still not gain very much weight because your testosterone is really low, it, you just can't maintain the muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So it's so important in that in that aspect. It has so many things. And then the other thing it does too, they've shown, is an appropriate testosterone level actually makes your processing ability in your brain quicker, meaning you don't have that brain fog. You can actually do this. So they had this really cool state where the testosterone levels and those were low weren't able to do, they have these like simple math problems and the the time it took for people with low testosterone to do the math problem versus those with normal testosterone was significantly different. Mm-hmm. You can actually process things quicker. So there's a lot of benefits to testosterone, but again, you have to put it in the normal level. You don't want to get too high testosterone. Like in women, you'll get hair loss, mm. you know, rage also, various things because it's a, it's a ratio. Yeah. So women actually have not more testosterone than men, but they have more testosterone than they do estrogen and progesterone, which I think is fascinating. A lot of women don't understand how important this is for them. Yeah, exactly. They, 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 they have definitely more testosterone. And what's interesting too is 
your body will actually take testosterone and make estrogen from testosterone. That's one of the ways it does that. And what's interesting as well is one of the main areas of production for estrogen is fat cells. So for both men and women, when you're overweight, you're actually making more estrogen, which suppresses your testosterone production. And so there's all sorts of things. So what you got to do, so this is why it's important to come to someone like us who, because we don't just take your blood test, give you a thing and say, hey, we'll see you in two years. We actually have every couple of months for the first six months, we test adjust the level, and then we test at least at least every six months, if not more, depending on what's going on, and adjust it because what's going to happen is, say you're overweight, have a lot of estrogen, you start losing weight, you get the testosterone, your testosterone levels are going to go up as your fats close down, so we're going to adjust the amount right. of level as you do that to keep you at the right area so that you get a nice balance. That makes a lot of sense. So then you're telling me something I didn't know. I thought estrogen was made in the ovaries, and I didn't realize you're saying that it's made in fat and like cholesterol or fat cells. Yeah. So the main production is estrogen is mainly made in the ovaries, but you also make production in estrogen and it's gone from your testosterone. So which is why oh. men, when they're trying to boost their testosterone, will take an estrogen blocker, which is blocking that pathway. So the main source of production is still in the ovaries, but you can, and they've actually done some studies on really overweight people that found that it almost approaches ovary level production when you have really? a lot of fat cells. Oh my. So, yeah, because you have so many, I mean, there's just a small production overall, but as you get more fat cells, you get more production. And so that's why men will often take estrogen blockers when they're trying to take testosterone. When all, in reality, what they need to do is just take the appropriate testosterone levels and do the appropriate muscle mass exercises, and it will correct itself. Mm -hmm. So basically, Justin, I'm hearing from you that kind of as we age, we definitely want to do something about our hormones, and we definitely want to do something about weightlifting for, yes. for muscle mass. And is there a third key here, that I, like diet? Yeah, so, or? yeah, so diet's super important. And just, you know... What's interesting is since we're in the anti-aging business, the recent studies have shown that sugar is the main culprit for aging, interestingly enough. Oh, my. And so right now there are people taking metformin and mm -hmm. this thing called Erykah which are diabetic drugs, because of that causes anti-aging. And they're, in fact, they're about to do a study to see if some of the diabetic drugs, like, for example, their trisipatide, one of the things they're about to go after is Alzheimer's prevention because of the sugar modulation in the brain. So Alzheimer's is plaque building up in the brain, which is due to somewhat to blood vessel regulation, but a lot of blood vessel inflammation is caused by sugar. So we know from ED, for example, that diabetics have much worse ED than anyone else because the sugar is affecting the blood mm. vessels. Mm. And the same thing goes for the brain. And so right now, if you've all, there's this billionaire named Chris Williams out there who's trying to live to 150, and he takes all these drugs, he blogs about it, but one of the things his experts are telling him is the sugar is super important, or the, or the regulation of sugar. Regulate. Oh, and does that Which include artificial sweeteners? Yes, artificial sweeteners are not good for you. Ah. <laughs> Try to avoid them if possible. The, well, not all of them. Like a stevia, like the, mm -hmm. the uh, abyssatol, the alcohol a stevia thing, is actually fine. It has not been shown to cause any problems. It's more like you know, aspartame and those things which cause problems. Because what happens is interesting enough, just go quickly on that. 
Aspartame actually makes it taste a little sweeter to your body. And so what ends up happening when you're taking diet drinks with aspartame like Diet Coke, you actually crave sweets more. So you end up as a portion of sugar that you eat, you eat more sugar because you're drinking Diet Coke than if you didn't. I hate this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I love Diet That's Dr. Right. Pepper. It's like my favorite thing, but obviously it's not helpful. So I guess as we wrap up, Dr. Johnson, I want to just talk. This can be such a, you know, as a sex therapist, I work with couples and talking about sex can be so vulnerable and a lot of tension involved as couples are trying to navigate their sexual relationship. And as we age and all of these factors start influencing how we're relating sexually, do you have any suggestions for how couples can process kind of emotionally how this conversation might might impact them as well as what are some ways that they can talk about it that they don't create some defensiveness? Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. So first of all, I would just, you know, one of my goals is to try to destigmatize meta, uh, sexual wellness and sexual talk because there's so many benefits. So one of the things, you know, I would get, get to men and women is just to realize that how important the benefits of good sex life are. They've done lots of studies, and they, and these are the things that come from it. One, with a good sexual relationship, you know, and, and we're talking about with a with a partner. So we're not talking about like sleeping around. That the, the okay, we're talking about the thing that came out with this committed yeah, like relationship. Good, like, committed relationship, exactly, because these studies didn't show up on people who were just having sex to have sex. These showed up in good committed relationships. The benefits were one, you have an increased sense of wellness, increased sense of well being. Improved happiness, decreased stress, lower incidence of depression, much lower as a matter of fact, reduced pain, increased pain tolerance, decreased heart disease, increased uh, longevity, decreased incidence of cancer, and improved sleep. Hmm. Those were all the benefits that came out wow. of a committed relationship with. So they took all these, you know, people who were committed relationships and they had all those questionnaires and the ones who had like a good sexual life with their partner had all these benefits and it was proven, you know, in these, in these things. So first of all, just the stigma, you got to get people to say, look, it's so important that we have a good sexual relationship. And the second thing is I would say that it's a communication issue. I would tell your partner like, Hey, this is important to us. We need to, cause I don't want to make you do something you don't want to do, but it's always good to have like set expectations, you know, or, or as in one of your podcasts recently, sex expectations, mm -hmm. you should have. So the, when the, when we say in the studies say how often you should have a sexual relationship, the general rule of thumb is two or more times a week, which seems like a lot, but it's actually very beneficial because of all the benefits you get from it. People don't realize how much endorphin you get how many endorphin release you get when you have a good sexual experience with your partner. It's it's better than actually the depression medicine. Hundred <laughs> percent. It is. Hundred yeah, percent better because that's what the sex. That's what the depression medicines try to do, and you can get that through that. Plus all the other benefits you get: blood flow benefits, everything. It releases all these endorphins and things in your body that just help. And so next thing would be to talk to your partner, like try to get a sit down. Cause I know people like my wife at first didn't want to sit down. I'm like, Hey, we should sit down and make a schedule. And at first she was uh, opposed to that. She's more like, I just wanted to like spont spontaneity. 
But what ends up happening is if you at least schedule one a week, what ends up happening is you find that you start anticipating that day. You know, like, oh, and then you can still have spontaneity in between. Mm -hmm. So we found that having a scheduled day is very beneficial because then you can like, you know, go to a hotel, pretend you're on a date, kind of the whole thing leading up. Because when you were dating, that's what you were doing. So if you look at relationship therapists, they always say, once you're married, don't stop dating your wife. If anything, you should date her more. It's more important because that connection, because really that's what sexual conduct within marriages should be. It should be about the connection. Mm -hmm. It's really the connection Mm -hmm. that gives you all these blessings, so to speak. Yeah, so true. And if I'm passionate about this, this is my whole career of my entire life is I believe if people, couples can come together and learn how to have really great, good sex where both of them are feeling fulfilled and happy about it, they're going to put that good energy into their parenting. Their homes are going to be happier as well. They're going to you know, this is replenishing energy to face the labors of family life with together, right? And then as their families are happier, their children see them and, you know, they observe what marriage can be. So they have a better idea about what marriage might be like in their own lives as they, you know, move on into adulthood. So I really think, I really think happy family life is really couched in happy, good sex. A hundred percent. And, you know, I know we have a lot of Christian listeners. I'm Christian myself, LDS. And you know, the first commandment was to go forth, multiply and replenish the earth. (laughs) That was the very first commandment. (laughs) And that's because it does lead to a whole host of benefits. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, if you have a really good sexual relationship where you're both are fulfilled, what you're really doing is you're putting your partner's needs as important and so if you if you have a discussion with your wife, say, hey, what do you want? And she feels fulfilled and she asks you and you both feel fulfilled. You know, in an intimate spot that you're both putting their needs first. And so that creates a lot of like unity, mm-hmm. which you is, you know, like the world right now is trying to break unity down in the marriage relationship. And this will create a ton of unity if you do it correctly. Hundreds percent, hundred percent. I've loved talking to you. I've learned so much today. You are so, so bright. Dr. Johnson, as we wrap up, can you tell us the name of your clinic and do you accept all insurances or tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the name of the clinic is Remedical and we do not actually accept insurance. We're just a cash-based because insurances have all sorts of controls. Not that we, you know, they are, are good, they're really good, but this is more in like the wellness sector, which insurances currently don't really cover much mm. <laughs> yet. Although we, we suspect the ED treatments and the vaginal rejuvenation will be covered by insurance probably about 12 to 15 years. The reason being is we just got it FDA approved a couple of years ago, and it takes about 12 years or so after FDA approval to get on insurance panels. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is the government controls it because Medicare really runs the show. People don't realize that the other insurances do not have to cover anything Medicare doesn't cover, and they won't, obviously. So we have, you have to get Medicare on board, and Medicare, being a government agency, likes to take their time with things. Yeah. So we have submitted things for them, but we're not expecting it to be insur- covered by insurance for probably 10 to 12 years. Okay. Eventually it will be, though. So it's a, that is similar to my own practice because I do relational therapy. Insurances no longer cover relational therapy, which is crazy yeah. because if you're not happy in 
your relationships, you're not going to be happy as an individual. So it's kind of a circus, I think. Yeah, I mean, you, you United States medical sis, uh, system set up on treatments versus preventative medicine. Mm-hmm. So essentially, we're a preventative medicine clinic, anti-aging. And the, and the money would be better served if you focus more on preventative medicine because then you just don't have the huge cost outlays you do once you get a disease. Right. So, But unfortunately, that's how we do it in the United States right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll look for Remedical Clinic in Mill Creek. And this is the Live Your Why podcast, so I always like to ask my guests as we finish up a little bit about their why. So, Dr. Johnson, can you tell us about your why? What is your why? Well... You know, I actually, my why is, for at least from my business side, is patient results and patient outcomes. I'm very into the research. And actually, that's my passion. If I could spend all day inventing new things and help, that help people out, that's what I would do. So once I started doing that, I got down that track. And so, like, even in our clinic, we will change our treatment protocols from time to time as because I continuously do research. So, for example, we added Botox recently for ED treatments. And people are like, well, how does Botox work? Well, they have really good studies that show it increases blood flow, which is the main issue for ED. So we've added that. So we can continually add things to improve our outcomes. So that's my passion is Mm. patient-centered, awesome outcomes for everybody. I love that. I love that. So thank you for being with me today. It's been so fun to, to meet you and to be able to talk about this important subject. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. 